Open Mind the Podcast is sponsored by very.co.uk. Looking for the perfect party outfit? Head to very.co.uk for all the latest trends to kick off the holiday season. Welcome back to this week's podcast, Open Mind, with me, Frankie Bridge. Today, I've got a very chatty human being. Um, it's Jamie Lang. Ling. Ling. <laughs> Lang. Do you know what? It's so funny. Frankie and I were talking before, and uh, Frankie was like, I don't know how to pronounce your surname. And I was like, to be honest, I don't really know how to pronounce it anymore. <laughs> I feel like I'm like David Bowie, because everyone's Bowie. like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one knows. So no one knows. I just put myself in that category. So growing up... You're the, you, you think of yourself as the same as Bowie. Look, Frankie, this I didn't say that. a great place to start. L- listen, <laughs> when, I, do you know, when I walk down the street, do you know what people shout at me? Do you know, uh. They go, Jude, Jude. And I go, Jude. They go, Jude. They think I'm Jude Law. And I'm not Jude Law. Really? <laughs> no, obviously I don't not. mean to offend you, but I just don't feel like you look like Jude Law. <laughs> people think I look like Woody Harrelson. Apparently, <laughs> if Woody Harrelson and Gordon Ramsay had a... Child, that would. What are you talking about? (laughs) I want like Jude Law and Brad Pitt. (laughs) Well, don't we all? I want Jennifer Aniston and I don't know. Yeah, but I I think I think that if if someone sometimes life is unfair, Jamie. Yeah, but Frankie, with you, it's different. If someone said to if someone said to me, then uh, did you know that Frankie Bridge, uh, uh, Frankie Bridge was the love child of Jennifer Aniston and Angie Jenner? I would go, oh, fair enough. If someone (laughs) said to me, do you know Jamie Lang is the love child of Brad Pitt and Jude Law? They go, fuck off. (laughs) All right, well, you've started yourself off on a good good foot. Anyway, Jamie Lang. There we go. Everyone will probably mainly know you from Made in Chelsea, Uh right? If you watch Made in Chelsea, yeah, um, you're the heir to McVitie's. Well, supposedly, but I've never seen any of that money, so I don't really. Know. <laughs> That's true. I've been digging around for it. I've been hunting for it. Fuckers. Yeah, man. Like, don't like. And also, McVitie's have been rolling off that. For, yeah. Like, oh, we basically, my great. Great grandfather, a guy called Alexander Grant, started McVitie's, and that's how it went across. So we sold it in like the eighties. Um, uh, I think my grandfather made a lot of money. My dad made a lot of money. I don't think us kids from really. biscuits. From biscuits, yeah, from biscuits. <sighs> See these people that may come up with these good ideas, like you, oh. who now owns your own candy kittens. Yes, candy kittens. It is sweeties. So many, and they're so good. Thank you, man. That they means are. a lot. Yeah, I mean, I've got you. I've got actually got you an advent calendar for all your kids as oh, well. So. thank you. When I said all. Your kids. All it's my easy. kids. Yeah, I've, I've only got two. <laughs> Sounds like you have like a <laughs> fleet of them. <laughs> hey, all of your kids you have. Um, but yeah, so we have our business candy kittens, which is super exciting. Um, and actually, weirdly, when I was a kid, right, I used to get, I used to be scared of the dark. Still, weirdly, I'm scared of the dark. And my brother would tell me stories of Jamie and Sweet Worlds to make me fall asleep. Oh, really? Yeah, and that's why I had this like whole vision of like having a world made of sweets, but sweets didn't damage your teeth. And that's how candy kittens started. To, how did they not? Damage your teeth. No, they're terrible for your teeth. <laughs> Sorry. So, childhood, tell mm. me about it. Where uh, did you grow up? Yeah, my childhood was a weird one because, okay, so I had, so I grew up in the countryside. I grew up just uh, in a place called South Farm, which is near Swindon in the countryside until I was about seven years old. And it was interesting because I, you know, growing up, I had uh, my mum, my dad, I had my older brother and my little sister, uh, obviously me and my two half-sisters. My dad was married before. And we lived in this huge so you house. all lived together? All lived together in this, okay. like, amazing house in the country. We had a tennis court. We had a swimming pool. We had all, And I just thought that was normal. Mm. Like, I thought just everyone had a tennis court and everyone had a swimming pool and everyone had this sort of 
way yeah. of life. I just, why would I think anything differently? And, and it was, do you know what? It was a really kind of loving family. We had, I, 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 but also I was like a frustrated kid, really. Maybe I, I feel like we're quite similar that way that, okay, so you and I both, we, and you spoke about, you're, you're, we're both quite anxious people yeah. in certain ways, right? But I think I was always anxious. Yeah, I was, I came out of the womb anxious. Yeah, totally, right. <laughs> and it was just, it was just manifested in different ways, right? Mm. So my anxiety came from at the beginning where I wanted attention mm. all the time. And if I wasn't given attention, then I knew how to get attention. I would be naughty. So I would I would break things or steal things or hide or say. I remember one time that I uh, I said to my parents, said, right, I'm leaving home now. And they went, OK, bye. And I left home and hid at the top of the driveway. Oh, I did that probably like twice a week. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what my I mean? sister would go, oh, if you got one pair of knickers and a at a chocolate bar in that bag today, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm e- off. Exactly, <laughs> because I think we just wanted to be noticed yeah. in some sort of way, right? And and that was my way of being noticed, especially coming from a family of like five people and uh, five kids and things like that. So I always wanted to be noticed, and I was just always I was frustrated. I remember, I remember my brother and my sister and I used to watch this TV show that was called Moozy. Right, it was like a movie. Yeah, no, it was bizarre. It was about this. It was like a French-speaking like dinosaur, like a fairy dinosaur. Of course, yeah, of course. (laughs) And he used to eat clocks. And I remember sitting in between my brother and my little sister. I must have been five, six. And I remember thinking, why are we? watching this I was frustrated that I was made to watch it and I couldn't be I wanted to be older than I was always Mm. I used to be so frustrated that I was stuck in this like little person's body really and I was naughty and all these different things and at eight years old I must be so then my brother went to a boarding school and he's two years older than me and my brother was like my best bud like he was everything we we you know this is what you know you you got two little ones right Mm -hmm. you got two little boys and um I kind of you you know way better, but I kind of feel sorry for people growing up now because when we were younger, right, Frank, like we would go and like on adventures and yeah. we would like go outside and play and and now entertainment for the young kids is like iPads and oh and they they get bored so easily like the amount that I hear my kids saying I'm bored I'm bored I get so frustrated yeah because it makes me panic what they're going to be like when they're older do you, do you know yeah. what I mean totally right and and like you just want the best for your kids and I think you know. Growing up in that kind of like a sort of, you know, the way we made like fun is like same as you, we just had adventures, right, mm. all the time, like pretended we were like different things and like we were pirates or whatever it was. My brother went to boarding school and I think for How me... How old was he when he went? Eight years old. Oh, it just seems so young to me. Right, it's baby, man. Yeah. But it, it's, it's ridiculous. Eight years old being sent off. And the reason we were sent off is because that's what happened. Mm. You know, my dad went to boarding school when he was six. My goodness. And he wasn't even allowed to phone. My son's six. Imagine sending your little boy. No, I couldn't. And you can't speak to him. You can't call him. Nothing like that. You're not allowed allowed to call him, not allowed to speak to him, nothing at all. It's crazy, right? It's just a crazy thing to do. And and I think that kind of archaic way of education is is changing. So my brother was sent away. um, And no one explained to me the concept of boarding school. Mm. I I went to a school and I and I liked my school and it was called Heatherick Castle School to begin with. This was the one before boarding school and it was great. And I went to school. I didn't like working because I didn't like work. I was really naughty, always getting trouble. But I was really good at sports, so I was kind of liked and I was popular, right? Mm. Um, and my brother then disappeared. And I remember no one really told me. He just went away. But my dad was always away, so it was there was it was like okay, so dad's always away. Mm. So then my brother's always away. So there's not much change. So people just in life leave. That's right. what I thought. I thought just people just went, right? That's what happened. 
Um, and then when I turned eight years old, and I missed my brother loads. Uh, I, like, I, I really did miss him without really understanding what missing was. Mm. I don't think you, you, you know what it is because you're not really explaining these emotions. I just felt an emotion and thought, well, I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I'm feeling it. And you have no sense of time, really, when you're younger. You have nothing, right? You're just looking forward to the next time you're being fed. You're like a Tamagotchi. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like Eat, sleep, poop. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I need a poop now. <laughs> He's going to help me with this one. I'm going to eat now. Um, and then I went to boarding school, a place called Summerfields. And um, so the summer that I was going there, the summer, my parents got divorced. Mm. Um, we used to go, we, my mum used to take me water skiing at this little, like a, like a water park place. And I remember it so well that my, weirdly, we had the, our, our house here and then uh, now there was another house next so in the middle of nowhere and that was my dad's office that everyone used to come in and my mum was going to take me wall skiing and I, she drove the car around it was a Toyota the one with the sliding doors oh yeah I remember it so well <laughs> and I was sitting in the car and my mum went into the office and I sat there waiting and I, I remember it being like two hours I remember like where is my mum I don't know where she's gone I've never seen my mum upset never seen her cry ever in her entire life unless it's like a movie or whatever it is and she walked out the office and my dad was following and I could see something was wrong and for some reason in my head, my anxiety, I would always question, always every night. What have you done? Yeah, what's happened? What have I yeah. done? Oh, my God, it's my fault. Or, or I'd always go, are they getting a divorce? Always for some reason, because I think my dad had got divorced before, so it was a constant theme in my head, right? My mum walked out. My dad was behind her, and my mum was upset. I'd never seen her upset. And I went, what's happened? What's happened? She said, why don't you ask your father? And my dad came up, and I said, Daddy, are you getting your divorce? And he went, yes, we are. And my oh, wow. mum slammed the door and said, don't go and fuck up someone else's life. Go and fuck up someone else's life. And I was like, hang on a second, what the hell is this? And you were eight. Eight years, seven, eight years old. So it was crazy, right? So I, and, and before that, had you, I mean, like, was there a reason why you kind of thought they were going to get divorced? Or was that just something you did? Like, you weren't aware of it, really? I just, no, I just think that my my dad had been previously married and I had two uh, half-sisters and they spoke about the fact that my okay. dad, they had, so I'd always in my head said, "Oh, that is a possible option." Yeah. So it was always there, right? It was always an option for it to happen. So I don't know why it was a fear. I remember as a kid, I used to. I, I remember watching. The, did you ever watch The Lamb Before Time? Did you ever watch that with like Petrie, Littlefoot, Star, Star? It's like got like weird little animals. Yeah, like it? dinosaurs. Like oh, yeah, I feel sharp like I have, tooth, yeah. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. I remember watching that. And going to uh, then afterwards watching that and realizing that actually dinosaurs have been extinct, so they must be in heaven. So I went down to my mum and said, "Mum, when I die, will I go to heaven?" And she said, "Yes, you will." And I thought, "Oh shit, I don't want to go to heaven. Dinosaurs are there." Like <laughs> I, yeah, I was just constantly, constantly worried, constantly yeah. worrying about stuff. So my dad then that all happened, and in the same breath, so that happened. We had a nanny. That we uh, that I had called Julie who was with us for that long. She left. I was sent to boarding school, and my mum moved us to London. Right. And I've spoken about this before, but when we moved to London, it was kind of a weird one because we came from this huge house in the country with a swimming pool, all these different things. And in London, you buy a house like that, you know, you're you're basically buying Buckingham Palace. Yeah. I mean, you, you, no one can afford it at all. So my mum took us to see this house in London, and I remember it, seeing this this building like that, and I went, "Oh, that's." quite small and she said well it's only a quarter of that because it was a townhouse and mm. I thought it was the whole thing and I was still thought that was small and I was like what the hell is this yeah. um, and, and that was really and I didn't think it was it was fine like, I, I was I got on with life I was okay mm. I went to this boarding school I didn't understand the concept of boarding school I didn't really know what it was my mum didn't come pick me up but I was like okay fine I cried every single time I went and all these things kind of happened and 
actually, weirdly enough, that was like the first sort of time. That has kind of slightly affected me because then what I always thought in life that people were going to go and people were going to disappear. And then I got this kind of like fear of like abandonment. And when you get the fear of abandonment, what happens is you become a real people person because you don't want people to leave. And when people start to go, you really worry that you've upset them and you've done something wrong. And so I was always afraid that I'm upsetting people. And that's where my insecurities came from. Yeah. But did you... Surprise. But did you ever have stuff like that? So where do you think your anxiety came from? I genuinely think I was just born that way. And really? my, um, my mum worked away a lot. She travelled a lot. And I used to worry every time she went. I was so scared of death. I don't know. I've always had this. Obs- Still now, I can't have an in-depth conversation about death. Like, already now, like my chest is going. It makes me feel like it just freaks me out because I'm not religious. I'm not... I don't believe in anything, so I'm just like, well, what's the fucking point? So you think it just, you're worried because you think it just ends and that's it? Yeah. So I'm like, well, then I just don't get it. So I, I can't think about it for too long because then it just fucks me up. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, th- I always had this fear that my mum was going to die in a plane crash, basically, every time she went to work. Um, so I think that was like my main thing when I was younger, like the fear. And I could turn any situation into a life-threatening situation mm. in my head. So, like, you know, when I was younger, we had our six-week summer holidays and we'd sort our holiday the year in front. Yeah, yeah. And I would spend that whole year worrying about that flight for that holiday. Really? Yeah. And Shit, I was a that people kind of in- and- that kind of internal... yeah. Always. Is or was your dad around? Yeah. He was around? Yeah. Okay, fine. Both parents worked and both were quite equal within the home. No one kind of was... They both cooked, they both did stuff with us and whatever. We had like a part-time nanny. Mm -hmm. But I was also like dropped off to different people's houses in the morning for the school drop-off, picked up by different people after school because my parents weren't back from work on the days that our nanny wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Um, So I suppose I was a little bit all over the place. Um, but did but, you and did you have a good relationship with your parents? Yeah, like as far as I can remember, yeah. I, I did. It was only like as we, as I got older that and I got in this club juniors, things were a little bit more difficult because I wasn't at home. But see, I think that you were a superstar, right? At like fourteen years old, I was twelve. What? <laughs> yeah, but you went to boarding school at eight. No, no but, but that's. <laughs> but that's uh, I, I think that people don't realise like how intense that is. Mm. Like, okay, there's so many things that like I've worked out. Hey, listen, there's so many things I worked out. <laughs> um, but like, okay, for example, um, okay, with podcasts, right? With mm. what we're doing now, or like YouTube videos or whatever. Everyone's looking for like that viral hit. They want to go. Oh, I want to get a million listeners now or a million mm. views now, and they think that's going to make their podcast or their thing a success. But actually, that's not what makes the, that that constant, that, that initial spike, like that, that actually means your drop is far quicker. And actually, that instant fame is really hard. Mm. And what people don't realise is actually, people think, oh my God, it's so exciting to be like that fame and this and that. But being 12 years old, having to travel around, sing on stage and being doing things, Holy smokes, man. I, I cannot tell you how much pressure mm. internally without realising that that must be on you to go on stage, perform, be in a band, do all these different things. I want to continue this road of, like, being in this public eye. This is your job. This is totally... That pressure is... You're meant to be eating worms at 12 years old. <laughs> That's what you're meant to be wearing dungarees, throwing mud on yourself and going... I was actually that kid as well. I used yeah. to play out in the mud and, and, the, and then worms. And then you're dragged away mm. from your family to go, OK, fine. And it's not your parents fault it's not your fault it's just an exciting thing to happen that is unbelievably like and scary and intimidating and and i really think 
damaging to to young kids because you don't you have to grow up so fast. Yeah, I think you grow up. Fa- we were very protected in. I'm sure. Yeah, but it is more that thing. It's that what I find is that constant need of success, like you say. It's like, okay, I've been around, I'm now 30, I'll be 31 in January and I'm still here. And I'm like, that's pretty amazing. Like, I'm more about longevity than... You know, yeah, that is hard. And friends and family expect you to be successful now. So it's that, like, pressure of, like, not wanting to let people down, which I know my friends wouldn't actually give a shit, but it is that thing. But but also, and maybe this is, it's like probably a personal question, how old's your oldest son? Six. So he's six. So you had your kids when you were 24. Yeah. And and that's quite young. That's really young, yeah. And, And that's probably because, and I could be totally wrong, you just had to grow up so fast. Well, I'd done a lot of things by then, yeah. So it was like, okay, what's next? You'd lived, you'd lived this whole life and Wayne's like an old man so we needed to get on with it you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it, but do you know what I mean you had lived this whole yeah. life before you were 20 I remember when I was at school and I used to watch S Club Juniors mm. and I remember you guys like you guys were just super and I think that people don't realise how like intense that is for like a young kid to go through yeah but I don't think you do at the time either like at the time I didn't really realise because we were also really lucky there was no social media there was no mail online there was none of that so like if a story was coming out nine times out of ten they weren't allowed to write about us because you were too young because we were too young Um, I didn't know people's opinions because I didn't read it so so we were quite blissfully unaware of our success. It was only afterwards, really, and then being in the Saturdays that I had to then kind of open up to all that. Yeah. And um, I suppose for you with Made in Chelsea, you must have... Because yeah. what were you doing before Made in Chelsea? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I, <laughs> basically, my mum wanted me to become a broker and in the city and lots of different things. Like She got me an internship and I, I lasted the internship for a day, quit my job and put on a suit and tie every single day and pretended I was going to work. And my mum never realised. <laughs> I just went around the corner and did it. But then this opportunity came up to do a TV show with my buddies uh, called Made in Chelsea. And I was kind of like, I just don't think it's a good idea. I was like, is that a good idea to go and do a reality show about being posh? <laughs> I mean, that sounds terrible. But I also, at the same time, I was trying to launch this sweet business called Candy Kittens. So I was trying to launch this sweet business. I'd been to New York to see this place called Dylan's Candy Bar. And it was like this, like the Hamleys of sweet shops. And I was like, this is incredible. I want to bring this to the UK. And at the same time, my mum wanted me to come and like work in the city. And I just thought, I just, that's never going to be me. I just knew it was never going to be me. So I had this choice of going down that route or going on a TV show and trying to start a sweet company. And so I chose that road of doing that. The problem with that, though, is that whatever people think about reality TV and whatever happens is that we were given some kind of fame, whatever mm. that was. And we were paid to go to nightclubs, uh, be basically paid to go and drink. And what happened was is that I just overdid it. I drank far too much. I partied far too much. I cared too much about hooking up with girls. Um, I didn't care about my family. I didn't care about my friends. I became unempathetic. I just wanted to do what I want to do. I thought I was famous without realizing it. I, I kept saying, "Well, I'm not," you know. Huh? I, and I kept doing all the things. And what happens is, is that you suddenly, and also not really having a purpose. I didn't really know what I was doing, where I was going, what I wanted to do. And with all of that alcohol and all those things that you're fueling yourself, your body just goes, "See you later." And I remember I was 23 years old. I was doing the TV show. We were partying all the time, and I had a panic attack. And I'd never had a panic attack Mm. in my entire life, ever. And I was sitting at home, 
And I had a really big night the night before, and I'd gone to bed at sort of 5, 6 a.m. again, you know. Mm. And I was sitting there, and I had this panic attack. And a lot of people have had panic attacks. I'm sure, Frank, you've probably had yeah. panic attacks. You think you're dying. Yeah. Because you don't know what you think you're dying. You're short of breath. You're basically falling over, all these different things. And I took myself to hospital, and he said, you're having a panic attack. And I went, well, what the hell's that? And going from this really outgoing, uh, sort of confident kind of guy, I went to a shell of myself for six months where I really couldn't leave the house unless I had to. I couldn't talk to anyone about it. If I spoke about it, it became real. No one spoke about mental health. No one told. I became so anxious that literally I, I, I did, I, but I still had to do the TV show because I was so driven at the same time to succeed. Mm, I still and did the, let anyone and down. not to let anyone down and not for anyone to, to, uh, to discover my true colours. And that anxiety, within me last until I was about 27 and I just never spoke about it and and for me right I think that um I think that in sort of the nicest way possible mental health is kind of a sexy term at the moment a lot of people say oh I've had mental health mm. and things like that. And, and loads of people have and I and I don't deny that at all. But I think there are different degrees of it, right? And lots of people think that their experience with it is the same as everyone else. And it's just definitely not everyone's. Everyone's is completely different. Completely different. Um, and so I never really spoke about it. And the only time I spoke about it, I did a podcast with a person called Elizabeth Day, How to Fail. And that was kind of the first time it opened up about it. But I really struggled. And at 27 years old, I had still partied. I had still different things. I was still doing this TV show. And I hadn't looked after myself at all. And I had something called depersonalization. It's basically where your body goes into autopilot because you it, it can't handle it's It's from extremes. I went to this psychotherapist uh, because I didn't know what was going on. He said, mm. oh, you've got depersonalization. I said, what's that? Mm. And he said, well, you get it from extreme anxiety, extreme depression. People get it from PTSD, so post-traumatic stress. People get it from this, this, and this. But you can also get it if you're having psychosis. And I went, well, I catastrophized. So I went, well, I'm obviously getting psychosis. Yeah. So for six months, I thought I was going mad. And it's basically where you almost have an out-of-body experience where you feel like you're floating. So if you ever speak to anyone who's had depersonalization, you they sort of say, well, I feel like I'm in a dream state. I feel like I'm floating. And every single day I would wake up and I would not want to open my eyes because I would see this fog and see that I was floating. And going from this person who is perceived as this really fun, outgoing kind of guy, I had to try and fake all this thing for six months. Mm. And it was just horrendous. And what I realized was is that actually when I spoke about it, so many people was like, uh, some people were like, I'm experiencing the same thing. I'm this, I'm that. All this. And I was like, God, actually speaking about it, especially coming from a male, mm. is actually quite a good thing to do. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by very.co.uk. I can't believe I'm already thinking about Christmas for the kids. And did you know that very.co.uk have all the biggest brands everyone is talking about, such as Lego, VTech and Toy Story 4? Just go to very.co.uk and search Christmas. For me, I feel like you were one of the first people to speak out about the way you felt mm. in terms of anxiety or feeling well, depressed. Well, it was because I was like hospitalised. And when I, we were kind of like at the height of our career then and the press kind of put it down to addiction, which was totally really? fine. I wasn't like, how dare you? You know, if it was, it was, but it wasn't. And I kind of felt like that's the only thing people saw people go into like 
mental yeah. hospitals for or like celebrities it's the only thing that happens to them they become addicted to drugs or alcohol and 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 can I there was no truth in it were you guys drinking a lot at all well, I was going out and stuff but I've never been a big drinker because sure. I've I don't like feeling out of control yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I've been around a lot of people with um, alcohol issues so I'm just a bit funny about it so I don't really obviously I was young single getting all the free alcohol so I was going out a lot and then working my ass off but do, do you know what's so interesting about that saying that you don't like being out of control is that when you have that periods of anxiety or depression that is totally out of control you can't control it so that yeah. must be so horrendous for you yeah but I've kind of learnt now I, I can release a bit of control now, so I kind yeah. of just give into it a bit more. But it's taken me years to understand it, and I think that's what the fear is with it. It's like when you have your first panic attack, you think you're dying. After, like, the hundredth panic attack, you're like, I'm not going to die. And the quicker yeah. I just give into it, the quicker it'll be over. Um, so what, I think, what age did you... What age did it happen to you when you started feeling... St- like anxious or whatever how old I was really young I was still at primary school it was like before us cup juniors I used to get like blue lips um where I couldn't breathe properly I used to get stomach aches I used to always be going for blood tests and all things like that and they were always inconclusive that's awful (laughs) um yeah but I think if it was to happen now people would be aware of it and like I was just classed as a warrior and that was it sent on my way but that's that's so much harder for you because you you weren't being diagnosed with anything, and and no. and, and that's what's so tricky, right? Mm. I find it fascinating how you had those issues, but you were able to go on stage and sing. I know it's so weird. I don't know how. How do you get the the armor to do that? I just I feel like a lot of people in the industry are a little like that. You yeah. know, I do think it's part of that people pleasing thing. Yeah. Like you can't get much of a, a reward than being in an arena with thousands of people clapping, singing song words, shouting your name and I do think a lot of it comes from that. It's a pra- it's a type of praise and, and a sense of accomplishment. Totally. And I think that's why a lot of performers and people in the public eye end up with depression or taking drugs and things like that because you're constantly chasing that high mm. um, and it's and it's not sustainable. It's going to end at some point. And, uh, totally, totally listen, anyone you speak to who says about he's been on Main Chelsea or whatever it is, if they say, oh, I just did this, you do it for, you want to know what fame is like mm. as well. Of course you do because you want to be validated in that way. I mean, that's... what. Is is being on stage and being in that world, is that is there nothing like it as well? That kind of when you're on stage no. in an arena and everyone's kind of singing along with you, is that pretty incredible? Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to recreate that yeah. feeling. But then also there are times like I'd come off stage and I wouldn't even remember that it had happened. It was so weird. Like you just kind of go into autopilot. Yeah. And I think when I was like at my lowest, it was literally just autopilot. I was just going through the motions. And 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 how how low did you get? Uh, well, I ended up in hospital, so I had a full-on really? proper, uh, breakdown. Um, and, you know, like just didn't want to be here anymore. I'd never attempted to commit suicide, but I had kind of like thoughts thoughts of it and just yeah. more just feeling that people would be better off if I wasn't here mm-hmm. um and I was just crying all the time I wasn't eating I, I'd lost like so much weight and I was just running on adrenaline um so yeah do, do you know what's so funny and uh, and this is why like you know from an outside point of view Frank for someone who doesn't know you and, and you and I know each other we know mm. each other a little bit right but from an outside point of view they would see 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 a girl who's beautiful who's outgoing who's charismatic who's done all these different things who has a family who has kids all that kind of stuff and so they would question, they go, well, what do you have to be unhappy about? Mm. And that's what's so hard to explain sometimes. But that's why I had to speak about it, because 
it was kind of a bit like saying, if I can feel feel like this, mm. then so can you. But also fighting that stigma of, of people being like, well, what have you got to be sad about? A bit like how I imagine you have probably grown up. You've had quite a privileged life. Mm. doesn't mean your life has been perfect at all. Um, but people assume that you have no reason to be unhappy. Totally. You have no reason to worry about anything. And I think that's what the whole point of why I've spoken out about it in the first place is to kind of say that. It's like, I've had someone say to me, oh, depression's a rich person's illness because other people don't have really? time to have that. And that just blew my mind um, and made me feel awful at the time. But now I can kind of reflect on that and say that's do, more about them than me. Do, do, you, do, you, do you get affected when people say things to you on like social media or comments or articles or whatever? Does that affect you anymore? Not really anymore. No. I don't really get it that badly, touch wood. Um, <laughs> it's more like now if they say anything about my kids or Wayne or anything like that. Or yeah, you, like become, my you become a lioness. Yes, <laughs> massively. Um, so because I'm not confrontational at all. Um, so I'm kind of cool with it, but I don't know. What about you? Does it affect you? I, I don't think it does. I think I got pretty thick skin in lots of different ways. Well, you have to, like, I yeah. have to say, like, when you watch things like Made in Chelsea and yeah. these reality programs, I don't know how you do it because you have to be, you have to be confrontational, and totally. you have to. And I just that is my worst nightmare. Yeah, and especially as someone that has anxiety and you're a people pleaser, how the hell do you do that? Well, because I tell you, I have anxiety and I'm a people pleaser from from my friends because I and and actually my anxiety came from lots. I mean, lots of different things from like just being not really knowing what to do, wanted to be. I, I re- always wanted to achieve things, mm. and I used to think that actually success, right. Success was being cash rich. I thought mm. that if I was rich, that would make me successful and happy. And in fact, it totally doesn't. Well, actually, for my own personal experience, success is actually waking up every day and having a purpose, whether that's being a mother, whether that's going to the gym, whether that's being the best dancer, whether that's having a podcast, whatever it is, having a purpose is the most important thing. And I had to sort of realise that. Um, and so my sort of anxiety comes from because I just... And not exactly, but my people, I just so worried still now because of this abandonment issue when I had as a kid with my parents' divorce and things like that. I'm so worried that my friends are going to go, do you know what? I don't want to be friends with you anymore. And I still today worry so much about it. I don't, I've stopped drinking um, because of those things. But I, and I thought, <clears throat> I just thought to myself one day, I was actually like, you know, I just, drinking makes things worse a lot of the time and, and all these different things. So I decided, I was like, right, I'm just going to stop drinking for a bit. My buddy Spencer Matthews. Uh, and he admitted, you know, he alcohol for him became a problem in his life, mm. and he gave up drinking. And he said, he said to me once, he said, "When alcohol is a problem in your life, when you give it up, the changes are immeasurable. I mean, it's so it's the road to freedom. So if you can do it, do it." And I think for me, I denied a lot of the time that. Uh, Alcohol was like, and I'm not an alcoholic in any way. Like mm. I'm really not. And there's alcohol, and there's alcoholism in my family, so I'm not at all. But I perhaps used alcohol as a substance to make me more chatty. And I'm really, I, I can chat. Yeah, to, you're yeah, chatty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so what was I using it for? I was, mm. I get, and so I thought to myself once, I was like, well, I'll stop using it for that because alcohol should be fun. You shouldn't use it for other things. And so I kind of stopped doing all of that to kind of sort of... Do you trip. not drink at all now? Well, I've, it's only been two weeks. So oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying like I'm an old boy. Big, big bollocks. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you know, it's changed my life. Yeah, all you motherfuckers out there who but do drink. do you not find it hard? Because I'm not a big drinker. I'm pretty a big lightweight. And mm. I'm, I, also, I also am one of those people, I don't get it. I'm like... I get being merry and stuff like that, but I don't get drinking into oblivion. Like my husband, he can drink until like 
he's I used to be not like that. even the same human anymore. And that is our biggest thing is that like, I don't get that. So when we go out on nights out, we don't really have the same night because we're on completely different levels. Totally. And he doesn't know when to give up. Like he's got major FOMO and he likes to be the most fun person in the room. Totally. And I'm like, I'm quite happy to miss out. Like, I'm quite happy not to be a part of that. But I'm also like, I've actually said the last few months... I'm genuinely thinking about going teetotal unless, like, I want one on, like, Christmas Day or whatever. I'm not totally. going to be, like, strict, strict. Because I was like, I just don't feel like I gain anything from it. And actually yeah. it started making me feel really ill. But I feel like there's a lot of pressure... Um, to do it. To to drink. Totally. Like, the, it... I had a night out the other night. The, everyone asked me every second, have I got a drink? Why am I not drinking? Because yeah. I stop when I get to a certain point. Oh, why have you stopped drinking? Well done, why aren't you then. drinking anymore? And I'm like, I don't want anymore. Like, I don't get how that affects your night. But also, Frank, you can just go to people, this is why I look four years old. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm kidding. You're like, hey, if you want to look like this, then drink that I shit. It, yeah, do you know what I mean? But, yeah. it, but it's interesting. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm like Wayne where I... I want to be the most fun in the room. Mm. I want everyone to be looking at me. I want to uh, be the drunkest. And, all. and actually, my girlfriend, um, she kind of said to me, she said the same as you. She said, we have different nights. Mm. And the problem is, is that I care and love about you so, love you so much that I worry about you. I'm worrying if you're going to be too drunk. And actually, at the end of the night, for me, it's a bit boring because you're just a bit drunk. You can't really talk and all these different things. And she said... Uh, she, and if I'm totally honest, yeah, she kind of said to me, look, I, I really love you, but you're going to have to sort of change this a little bit because it's just not fun. Why do you want to... I don't get why you want... I said, well, it's fun. You know, we're getting drunk. She's like, yeah, but just have... You, you don't look like you're having fun. You don't talk to anyone by the mm. end. And so, you probably don't even... This is my biggest thing. I'm like, but you don't remember the day the next day most of the time. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, I don't get that. You've spent loads of money. You've had an out like stag do's and stuff like that. I'm like, but you don't bloody remember it. What's the point? Yeah, it, and I, I think it's a bit of escapism because I think it's... Actually, I don't think... I, I think I know it is because you're like, oh, you kind of just go, all right, here we go. But for you know, for Wayne, I, I, you know, I think he's spoken about that. I haven't spoken about it. Both of you guys, you guys, you know, you came from this world of like singing on stage mm. and crowds all and he went from playing f- international football right when you have crowds that going from that international football and being a sportsman to then just going okay not doing that yeah. that contra- that sort of turn that must be hard yeah I think he's I, yeah and he he's at home a lot now and um, which is nice for me but I think he still hasn't found his way yet so my my buddy, a guy called Cozzy, who's one of my best buds in the world, he got married to this Brazilian girl, mm. beautiful girl. Um, and we went out to Sao Paulo to have his wedding and he gave this talk at his wedding. Um, he gave a speech to her and he said, um, when I met Lila, it was amazing. It was great. I knew this was the person I wanted to marry. And she had directed an independent movie and she invited me to her flat to watch it with their dad. And her dad was there and they were sitting there and halfway through the movie there was a thing that came up said, uh, what is the meaning of life? And she paused it and turned to her father and said, Papa, what is the meaning of life? And he said, daughter, the meaning of life is to love. Mm. And I and I actually weirdly now think that is true. I think the meaning of life is to love. I really do. It doesn't matter if it's a husband, family, kids, whatever it is, but to love, I think, is, like, the most important thing. Mm. That's what kind of work. We strive for, like... I, I purpose, right, 100%. It, that is meaning. Yeah, I need purpose. You need purpose mm. without a doubt. And perhaps that is, maybe it's the meaning of life is purpose. But I also just fundamentally think that you need love. Mm. And that's what it is. And you find love and that's... Well, I always had this theory when I was younger, because I'd worked from such a young age, 
I was terrified of getting older and not having a family. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to be sat. I mean, I'm not rich. <laughs> Turns out music industry, you know, you don't make that much money anymore. But like, so I still need to work. But I was terrified that I'd be sat in like some big house, having yeah. all this success, having money and just being alone. And that was yeah. like one of my biggest fears. You know, you see a lot of these Hollywood people and maybe they're happy. But for me, that wouldn't have given me happiness. Like, I didn't, it was so dark, but I didn't want to be on my deathbed and be like, oh, I've now just got a shitload of money to give to no one. Oh my God. Or like, and that's all I've achieved. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to have had, have all those things. Frank Daly, so the Egyptians got it totally wrong. Right? The Egyptians wanted to be buried with their wealth mm. because they thought they could take it to the afterlife. And in fact, you can't be buried with your riches. What you need to do in life is give away all of your riches. And that is uh, knowledge, love, uh, wealth, whatever, just give it away to people because why do you want to do that? met this guy the other day, a really amazing guy, and I spoke about him before another podcast, but he was he was working at like J.P. Morgan, mm. super successful in terms of cash, earning lots of money, went to Thailand, was on the bus in Thailand, and this American guy got on um, and sat next to him and started talking to him, and, la, 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 and the guy said, oh, what do you do? He said, I work at J.P. Morgan. And he said, oh, you must be super successful. He went, yeah, I make a lot of money. And he went, were you happy? And he went, I don't know, I think I am. And he went, okay, well, uh, do you do you want to do different thing in life? Do you want to change? And he went, yeah, I kind of do now. And they spoke for ages. He said, well, listen, if you're sitting in your uh, your rocking chair at 90 years old and you look back at your life, you're going to be happy with it. Have you done something that you, what you achieve you're happy with? He went, no, I'm not. So he came home. He quit his job. He set up a company now called uh, Change Please, which is a coffee company. And he hires homeless people for a year, houses them, puts them back on their feet. And, that's and that's amazing. Good. It's amazing, right? Mm. And actually, he's happier than ever. And, it, and it's just because I think what happens is, is that we... I think in life, I think people have got it wrong. I think we, listen, we, we, we're lucky, right? Because we're coming from a situation where we can pay for different things and we, yeah. can, we can afford pizzas and pay for our petrol. It's easier for us It's to so, say. super easy yeah. for us to say it, right? So it's very easy for us to go, fine. But also at the same time is that we, we're told that we have to go out there and achieve this American dream and go and do things. But actually, as long as you're comfortable and happy and you can afford things, actually the most important thing is just doing things like, we said this before, about like, you know, being kind, having good relationships, doing stuff that actually matters and all that. And I think that's actually what's really important mm. in life is actually just be kind and have good relationships. Well, sometimes I'm like, I get envious of my friends that don't have massive expectations of their life mm. um, that are quite happy to go and do their nine to five job yeah. five days a week, have their weekends off, have their set holidays and stay where they grew up. And they're quite happy of what their vision of the rest of their life is like. Yeah. And I, I kind of like envy them for that because I feel like they'll never feel let down. They'll never feel like they've underachieved. And, and I've I've kind of like with my sister, my sister went to uni, she traveled, she, you know, she floated around, she's never found a job that she particularly likes and yeah. was never really that bothered about it. And our lives were completely different, even though we're really close. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like back in the day where I'd be so busy that I hadn't seen any of my friends or I hadn't couldn't go to someone's wedding or christening or whatever it was. And I'd kind of envy her that she could like try a job out, didn't like it, try a different one. And she was always moving around. But yeah. then 
it works both ways. You know, the grass is always greener. Like, I totally. Really but, but also, I think also is that it, I just think, God, I, I, I think what you're trying to say is, is that people who are content, right, yeah. we're jealous of that. Yeah. Because we're just like, God, we're so good. But unfortunately for us, I don't think we're ever going to be no. content. No, and that's what I always have just been right in my book and that's kind of one of my main things is I'm like you have to stop waiting for that next thing to make you happy Mm -hmm. because it's not going to come like you can have your list of material things success um, love relationships whatever but actually fundamentally it comes down to you and people can make you unhappy and they can make you happy and they can make you feel secure insecure but actually you let that happen if you're happy within yourself then you will be happy. That's what I genuinely believe. But unfortunately for me, I'm chemically unhappy, so I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> but there is hope for other people. <laughs> Do you know what? It's a, there's, there's this amazing lecture, which is called Why Zebras Don't Have Ulcers, right? And it's all about the fact that, so in the animal world, so zebras, take zebras as an example. Mm. When they're drinking from the watering hole and the lioness chases them, they run away, their adrenaline goes high, all these different things, they freak out and they run away and they escape the lioness. Those, that same zebra will go back to that same watering hole and drink from it without even thinking about the lioness or what could have happened. As humans, what we do is someone holds a gun at us, says, give us your money, you give it to them, and then you go and go, I could have died. I could. You imagine something that mm. didn't happen, and we imagine different things. So anxiety is imagining the worst outcome. And actually, the reason why zebras don't have ulcers is because they live in the present. And as humans, we don't live in the present. We worry about what we've done in the past that we can't change. We worry about what's going to happen in the future because we can't predict it. And actually, just living in the present and being super happy, that is literally what we should be doing, Mm. I think. But can you do it? No. (laughs) (laughs) I did this podcast the other day where this person, I was was talking about different things, stuff like that, and they went, oh, God, you you, you quite sort of it, like you you quite sort of up to knowledge, and I think it's because you know we both do therapy, right? Mm. Um, and oh she, yeah, we know all about we it. We know all about <laughs> it. And the funny thing they said, she went at the end. She went. I think it's quite off-brand that, you, <laughs> you, that you're all quite self-aware. And I went, do you know what probably is? Because I'm known as this, like, hey, what kind of guy. But actually, I think that's why therapy is so important. Any, if it, someone's listening right now and they can afford it or they can get it on the NHS or they can get it, I just really believe it. I do think everyone, like the Americans have got it right, mate. Totally, like, man. Everyone talks about it. Everyone's really honest about it. Like, there's so many people I know that if they just could have a couple of sessions, mate. they'd be sorted right out. Frank, the Americans have it right. Get Botox and have therapy. (laughs) Man, they have it right. They have it right. They do. It's so healthy because I think it's just having that, like I always say to my friends, I can be telling myself something for months and then actually to say it out loud to someone that has no emotional connection to me, Mm. like to have that soundboard of someone to say those things to, sometimes makes me realise how silly it is. Whereas like when you talk to your mates or your husband, boyfriend, whatever, they are emotionally attached to you. So they kind of respond in a way that they feel is probably right for you. Mm. Whereas a therapist just says it how it is. And sometimes it's brutal. Like we've just realised we have the same therapist. We have the same one. She can be quite brutal. But how how random is that? (laughs) I know. That we have the same Therapist. You're going to have to read my book. She's written in my I, book. I, it's called Open Mind, isn't it? That's called Open. Open. It's just called Open. Shout, yeah. Okay, big but shout ma- out. But she's in there. 
Yeah, she told me. She yeah. told me. She was. I, I was with her the other day. She's fabulous. She's amazing. And she's exactly that. She just says it how it is. And it's so useful to have that. Because in life, people, in a nice way, they personally feel about yeah. it, right? They go, and actually in life, a lot of people make excuses about different things. But she um, she kind of says it how it is. And she was saying that she, you know, she was writing this book and all these different things. And I was like, God, I'm about to do a, her podcast as well. So it's so <laughs> kind of random. But honestly, like we said, I just think if you have the ability to do therapy and, and be open and honest about it, it's so important. I have a buddy at the moment who who's going through a tough time. And he's he's one of, the, he, one of these guys who, like a lot of men, you know, biggest killer for men under 45 suicide. It's really sad. Well, it's right? been really difficult for me to get men on. And oh. that's only just like, I knew it would be, yeah. but it has been so difficult. Guys don't like talking about it because no. it makes you unmacho. It makes you uh, vulnerable. Guys don't like being vulnerable. And actually with my buddy, I've managed just to now to go and get him sessions and start doing therapy because he just has to open up about this stuff, yeah. you know? It's so important. It's so important, man. It's so important. I've actually really loved our chat, Jamie. Have you? I feel like we could go on and on and on, but I actually have therapy that I can't believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey Frank, before we, before we go, can I ask? Can, will you come on my podcast, Private Parts, at yes. one point? Where yeah. basically, listen, it's totally different to this. We just sit and chat, and we ask you loads of funny stories, and hopefully, okay. you reveal stuff. And it's... I feel like you've interviewed me though. This completely backfired on me. I was like, oh. Jamie, I want to know more about you, and you just kept <laughs> handing back the questions. Because I just want you to like me. <laughs> I know, yeah. Is that why? Is that why you said I was pretty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, tick, tick, so tick. No, I but mean, I think this is what's so great about your podcast, Frank, and this is totally true. Uh, you know, you first you it's, it's totally authentic, right? I've listened mm. to them; they're really good. It's totally authentic. You're a natural host. You're a natural presenter. You're, it's true that you're, you're caring about the other person, but also I just think it shouldn't be a one-way street. There is listen. Every single podcast out there, every single chat show is about people just interviewing another person. Mm. Actually, this is podcast about having a yeah, man. Let's yeah. have a conversation. And you're kidding? It's a great podcast. I really do. I think it's Hi. so good, and it's so important to do something like this. Mm. Yeah, go and get Frankie's book open. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by very.co.uk.